Don't touch that dial. Do not play with your mouse. Don't do that. That's, come on, your age. Hey, hi, this is Terry McGovern along with Timbo, my brother, and we are here on Timbo Land taking a look at the year 1962. 1962. Big year. All the, all the baby boomer years are big from 46 to uh, 64. Uh, let's just first of all cover who had a birthday in, or who was born actually, in the year 1962. Scientology's favorite guy, Tom Cruise. Jim Carrey, the great uh, visual comic. Ralph Fiennes. That's one of the many ways you can pronounce his name. <laughs> the great British actor. Steve Carell. Matthew Broderick, the wonderful Jodie Foster, Emilio Estevez, John Cusack, and Demi Moore, and Donald Trump's favorite gal, Rosie O'Donnell. Okay, so there, those are our birthdays, and uh, before we get started, you know, we always talk about uh, Tim and and the, uh, the the Veterans Administration because having been polluted with uh, Agent Orange when he was on active duty overseas, uh, he's developed Agent Orange symptoms, but he's also developed a uh, a need for a new knee. And two weeks ago, they gave you a new knee. Now, did you have to put it in yourself? It yeah, wasn't like I, it was. It's not an IKEA knee, is it? No, no, no. It's made by Mattel, actually. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I actually did get a new knee uh, operation. I have, in fact, been installed with a new uh, high-tech uh, alloyed knee, and I am up and about uh, working out daily. I've yeah, they this- make you get up right quick, don't they? Because I was there the morning of the operation, and by that afternoon, they had you up and walking around. Well, they didn't really have me walking around. I tried a couple of times, and then I'd get back to the wheelchair. I was, but they had you upright. Yeah, yeah, but I was uh, still pretty heavily sedated. But But here's the thing, Tim. Here's the thing: is uh, we're talking. uh, Tim and I are talking about taking uh, Timbo Land on the road, and uh, we have a number of VFW clubs and a couple of mooses who would like uh, us to perform there. And Tim, I want to do that uh, uh, that scene f- f- uh, in uh, uh, Singing in the Rain where Donald O'Connor jumps up, you know, walks up the wall and then does a backflip. Are you ready to do that yet? Uh, you know, Terry, I think in about two weeks I will be. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll be good to go, sure. The year 1962. (laughs) The most important thing I recall about 1962 was the Cuban Missile Crisis, when the Russians put missiles uh, in Cuba. Yeah, that was a scary time. It really was. We came real close to lighting everybody up. Where were you? I was at. Uh, I was in South Hills High School when I attended. I had a special ride over there to play football and uh, stay out of class as much as possible, stay out of the way. So that was cool. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly didn't want that interrupted. No, no. I was no. at uh, WDUQ, the campus radio station for Duquesne University. Also in Pittsburgh. Hmm. And boy, I tell you, we were all sitting in the lobby, all the young uh, radio would-bes. And uh, that that speech came on. You know, we watched him on television, JFK. And it was terrifying. It really was. It it was terrifying. And and 
you know, they've done so many shows about his circle of friends at the time that uh, were advising him, and they were all like Kenny O'Brien and Ted uh, Sorensen. And Ted Sorensen, and uh, it was they were when you look back at it, they were just young guys, and oh yeah, for the most part in their early forties. Uh, and what a brain trust they what, provided. They did, but they it, it was it was it was neat because it was like all of a sudden these guys were in charge of you know the most powerful nation in the world and they were confronted with this incredible crisis and they uh, they danced their way through it they did they got through it um what else? We'll, Rick Banghart will be along uh, later in the show, our tech guy. And I'm going to ask him where he was in 1962. But, you know, I had a little part in a movie called American Graffiti, and the poster uh, was, Where Were You in 62? Hmm. And there was no mention of politics or the world stage. It was all about, uh, well, American Graffiti. Sure, sure. Still a classic. I think the last time I got a residual for that... I had it in a frame. I don't know what I did with it. Fifteen cents. Fifteen. But I'm still getting paid. <laughs> I'm still a professional. And you got the job. Ex- How did that all come down, Terry? I was always curious about that. I'm sure you've told me many times, but it's uh, it's passed through my uh, oblongata. Well, that's one of the great things about having you as a friend. You can yeah. keep telling you the same stories. <laughs> uh, over and over. <laughs> yes, you can. Nothing's repetitive to me. Absolutely nothing. I had worked on uh, THX 1138 as a voice actor. And uh, that was his first film, Lucas's first film. And then it came, uh, he got this uh, movie okayed, I I think it was Universal, and they uh, gave him some money, not much, to make American Graffiti. He used to listen to me when I was on the radio in San Francisco, KSFO, and uh, I did a character named Richie Vitula, who was supposedly my mechanic, and he would come in and we'd talk. I did this double voice thing and play music from the 60s. And this was in the 70s, so it was, you know, a very recent look back at the 60s. And Lucas called me in. I I want you to play this disc jockey in a movie I'm making, American Graffiti. And you know what I said? I said, I don't want to play a disc jockey. I am a disc jockey. Don't you have anything else? Well, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be typecast right out of the box. But what nerve. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, Fred Roos, the producer who brought me in, almost fell off the chair. George didn't blink. He said, yeah, there's the high school teacher. You want to read for that? Mm. And that's how I got it. That's good. And, of course, Wolfman Jack, uh, I would have never been seen because ultimately he got Wolfman Jack for that great performance. Remember? The popsicles are melting. Anybody want to come down here and eat some popsicles? More on the year 1962, coming up in just a sec. Oh, and I want you to pay attention to this, Tim. Children diagnosed with Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, may be overly active or have trouble paying attention or controlling their behavior. In the United States, more young children 2 to 5 years of age are taking medicine for ADHD than receiving psychological services, which may include behavior therapy. Therapy. Clinical guidelines for treatment now recommend behavior therapy before prescribing medicine for young children with ADHD. This therapy teaches parents ways to improve their child's behavior and can work as well as medicine without the risk of side effects. It requires time and effort, but the benefits are lifelong for children and their families. 
healthcare providers follow the clinical guidelines for diagnosis and treatment of ADHD and discuss the benefits of behavior therapy with parents and refer them to training. To learn more, visit cdc.gov slash vital signs. Yeah, baby. Timboland at timboland.net for baby boomers, y'all. And we're back in the year 1962 on Timboland at Timboland.net, where uh, every week we take another look at another baby boomer year. And this is the year 62. So uh, let's let's start uh, here with sports. What happened in uh, AFL football? Because there was an AFL then. They were just coming into their own, right? Yeah, Terry, at that time, the AFL, of course, was the fledgling league among the two with the NFL. So in that championship game, 1962, who was the winner? Who was the loser? Well, in double overtime, uh, Houston Oilers beat the Dallas Texans 20-17. In the NFL, the Green Bay uh, beat up on uh, the Giants 16-7. And at that time, that was it. There was no Super Bowl established yet. So they, in turn, were uh, champions of the NFL. And Houston was a champion of the AFL. Soon to merge, though. Yeah, absolutely. How about college? Who who was the number one college team? Uh, The number one uh, NCAA college team was Alabama as they defeated Arkansas 10-3 in the Sugar Bowl. And what else do we got? We got uh, Baseball World Series. Yeah, the Yankees uh, beat up on the San Francisco Giants. Not really beat up on them. It was actually a very good series. Uh, They won it four games to three. And in 1962, that great feller, Bob Feller of the Cleveland Indians, and Jackie Robinson got into the Hall of Fame. That's right. Uh, two of the great, uh, great ball players of our time. And of course, Jackie Robinson, so, so famous for breaking uh, the racial barriers and uh, letting everybody, literally everybody that was a good ball player play, regardless of color. And in the NBA, uh, this, of course, is the year that a, a very tall gentleman by the name of Wilt Chamberlain did something phenomenal. They still talk about it. Yeah. Wilt Chamberlain at her. Hershey, Pennsylvania, against the uh, the Knicks against yeah uh, yeah against the New York Knicks scored one hundred points, one hundred points in one game. Interesting thing about this is nobody has a visual record of that. For some reason or other, there is no film or tape of that game. Well, they just they didn't really have a contract. Uh, the NBA didn't have a contract at that time. There was no great coverage of every game like we have now. There was one game a week that you got to see on Sundays on ABC. That was it. And that's all you got of the NBA. And in the championship game, it was who beat whom? Well, the Lakers uh, actually lost to the Boston Celtics and began which uh, was an incredible run for the Celtics and his Bill Russell. NCAA. NCAA Cincinnati uh, uh, beat Ohio State 71 to 59 and were crowned the national champions. The old Buckeyes, the old Buckeyes. PGA, uh, the game that you're uh, internationally famous for, uh, golf. (laughs) 
Yes, uh, indeed. Yeah, great showing, Terry, for the big three in the PGA. Arnold Palmer won the Masters. Jack Nicklaus, the U.S. Open and British Open. And Gary Player, the PGA. National Hockey League, who got the Stanley Cup in 62? Well, that was the year for the Toronto Maple Leafs beating the Chicago Blackhawks four games to two. Indianapolis uh, was one of the first wins of the Indy uh, for the great Roger Ward. Uh, Roger Ward wins the Indy 500, yeah. And uh, you wanted to mention something about uh, a guy that you worked for in the restaurant business, Mari Wills, the great second baseman from the Los Angeles Dodgers, and later the Pittsburgh Pirates. Pittsburgh Pirates. He was uh, playing for the Pirates when we opened a place called the Stolen Base for obvious reasons. Uh, He was named the most valuable player of the year by AP. That was some joint, the Stolen Base. Oh, my God. Oh, yes, it was. It it truly, truly was uh, an extraordinary uh, tavern. Uh, We had picnic benches set up in there, and all you could eat and all you could drink. You had to watch your step or you could get get the heave-ho, and you were a heave-hoer, weren't you? Well, yeah, we would I didn't mean to say hoer, but you you helped throw guys out uh, out of the establishment. We did, and uh, we would. We had two launch pads, the front door, and then we had a smaller back door that we could also launch uh, from, uh, so we didn't disturb the music, the great banjo music of Maury Wills and a group from the Red Garter here in San Francisco played at our club. Great time. Oh, God. Ems was the days, my friend. Well... That's exactly why we get together and talk about years gone by and the really good memories, 1962. We're going to take a quick break, uh, and then we're going to come back and take a look at TVs and movies from this very exciting year. Good stuff, good stuff. And we have music ahead, too. We want to do the top 10 songs of the year. So stick with us. You're listening to Timboland. And where are we located, Tim? We are at Timboland, Timboland.net, and we're the podcast for Baby Boomers. Every day, 5,000 kids under the age of 16 take their first drink. I was nine when I first had my first drink. Sometimes I'm bored because I thought it was a cool thing to do. My mom just thought that I had the flu. We're drinking younger and we're smart about hiding it. That's what I told her. So don't believe everything we say. Check it out for yourself. Take underage drinking seriously. You're listening to Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. We're back with more Timboland at Timboland.net. We cover all the important years of the century (laughs) from 1946 until 1964. And these are the years agreed upon by who? I don't know. A bunch of guys in a room said that those are the dates. And uh, so if you're born within those years, you are a baby boomer. And if you're not, you're still welcome. We encourage it. So, Timbo McGovern, my partner in crime, and uh, we're looking at movies in the year 1962. All right? And we're going to start at the uh, the movie that came in number 10 in this year. Number 10, Bon Voyage uh, with Fred McMurray. Fred McMurray. I have no recollection of Bon Voyage. It wasn't my habit to go say, hey, there's a Fred McMurray movie at the Rialto. <laughs> but... Uh, 
it sounds like it might have been a, a romantic comedy or something, but I still maintain Fred McMurray, who also was in My Three Sons. He was the he was a single dad, remember? Yes, he was a single dad. I don't know exactly what happened to his wife, but uh, I think he had her put away for some reason. <laughs> but that's very unkind. Himself. But I'll tell you what, the guy was a great heavy, a great villain. Uh, I'll name just two films where you can see this uh, very clearly. And one was in the, oh, it's coming up around 64, I think, The Apartment, Billy Wilder, which won Best Movie. And he played Mr. Selkirk, the creepy boss who would borrow Jack Lemmon's apartment key so he could take his uh, his women there. And he was about as slimy as you can imagine. And years before that, 20 years before that, he played the evil insurance salesman in Double Indemnity. And if you want to go look at a great old black and white film, there's something about black and white. When You, what, 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 you know, you get your popcorn and your soda or whatever, and you sit down and there's millions of action things you can see in color with computer enhancements. But there's something raw and, and just primitive and really cool about watching a black and white movie. I highly recommend Double Indemnity. When they shot in black and white, uh, they had really had made lighting a, a science, the way they could light and backlight. That lighting became known as film noir. And, and really, when you think about what was that, you know, what was the psychological uh, intent and interpretation of it? And it was because color's fabulous, but in a sense... All that color can get in the way of the story. I mean, yes, that's it the can. way some of these filmmakers looked at it. Uh, of course, Hitchcock loved color, but even he shot in black and white after color came along. Stranger in Town, shot on location in Santa Rosa, California. Of course, Psycho. But these guys who, sp- who specifically wanted to shoot black and white, they wanted you to see what they wanted you to see the highs and the lows, the whites and the blacks and the grays and nothing else. And they felt that was important to their storytelling. Yeah, without question. And even in the modern era, in the 60s, there were a number of films shot in black and white. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, for instance. Perfect. Well, I'll tell you, Dimitri, one of our generals has gone and done, well, he's done a silly thing. (laughs) Oh, Peter Sellers. Number nine. Number nine, uh, Gypsy with Rosalind Russell. You'll look great. You'll look swell. You'll have to wear a cowbell. <laughs> great. That was great. Ethel, wasn't it? Yeah, Ethel. Yeah. Number eight, Hatari with uh, the Duke himself, John Wayne, and Red Buttons. Red Buttons was a guy who came out of nowhere. Well, he was television, and he had a he had a pretty popular stint on TV, evening show, and suddenly he got a role in a movie called Sayonara, which won him an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor. This movie is Hatari, and it's a jungle, uh, you know, hunting wild beast uh, uh, kind of epic, and it sounds like a video game, Hatari. Yeah, I think uh, they named some video game Hatari, or was that a bar I was in? <laughs> yeah, it was, was kind of one of those novel. Polynesian decors. <laughs> yeah, where you, well, yeah, yeah. Well, well, look here, my man, you get a little umbrella in whatever you order. 
I remember I had my pith helmet on. Your pith helmet, yeah. Don't pith me off. Number seven, talking about black and white, talking about one of the great pieces of literature and filmmaking. Give it to me. To Kill a Mockingbird with the great Gregory Peck and maybe the first really important movie that Robert Duvall made. Yes, he played Boo Radley, the mysterious Mm -hmm. next-door neighbor. Great film. It was was an extraordinary piece of work. The brilliant Harper Lee. And she never really wrote anything else. And there was this feeble attempt to write a sequel to... uh, 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 to Kill a Mockingbird shortly before she died. And it was kind of sad. I mean, I, I didn't read it, but it was a, a sequel to it. And Atticus is uh, the Gregory Peck part is much older. And it turns out he really is kind of a racist. So I don't know. I mean, whatever she did, she has nothing to apologize for because she wrote Harper Lee, one of the great books in American literature. To Kill a Mockingbird. Number six in our top ten list of the 1962 films. Mutiny on the Bounty with Marlon Brando and uh, Trevor Howard, who I love, was a great English actor. Now, this film was shot, and this is where he started to get the reputation for being, oh, what's the word, a prick. A guy yeah, who that's a good word for Marlon. Yeah, I mean, because that's what he was. He was he was so tired of being Marlon Brando and he he, he was a he was a piece of work, you know. He was an egomaniac. And they shot this film, uh the second mutiny on the bounty. The first was Charles Lawton and Clark Gable. Mr. Christian. Uh this was the second. Then there would be a third with uh Mel Gibson. I can't remember who his commanding officer was, who his officer Bly was. We'll look it up. I think it was Mo Howard. I think it was Mo Howard. <laughs> oh, oh, no. What am I thinking? Of course, uh, uh, the great Anthony Hopkins. But the one in question, made in 62, it was made on an island that, uh, or right off the island that, that uh, Brando owned. And he had a bevy of young bare-breasted girls and he was running around and acting like a maniac and then it came time to shoot the scene where that where the bounty the uh her his mat i guess it was yeah his majesty's ship the bounty was set afire mm. so they couldn't trace these guys they'd never be able to find what happened to them and i believe he actually took as a bride one of the island girls and had a number of children he did her. He did. He he did marry that uh, th- that young woman, and they did have children. Yes, they. You were spending the evening with me. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, anyway, the cameras are set up. Brando is down below decks, and the scene is that the ship is 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 burning. It's going to burn to the waterline and sink, and the cameras are running, and. The flames lick higher and higher and higher, and Brando's supposed to walk out on the deck and do something dramatic. I don't know what. And he slowly, slowly appears just before the boat is a cinder on the deck, and he's naked. (laughs) (laughs) He was a fun guy. Yeah, he was fun for sure. Number five in my book, I'd have to say my number one favorite of all time. The Music Man with the wonderful Robert uh, Preston. Well, you got Love trouble, my guy. friend. 
Yeah. I'm talking hey, about the kids in the shirt-tailed knickerbockers. Young ones peeking through the pool hall window after school. You got trouble right here in River City. Now, I know all you folks are the right kind of parents. I'm going to be perfectly frank. Would you like... <clears throat> I'm sorry. I love the great bit. That was my impression of one of the best uh, song and dance men who ever lived, Robert Preston. And Shirley um, uh, uh, Jones was the ingenue in it. Meredith Wilson. He wrote a couple of other plays. Nah, they never happened. But The Music Man will go down as one of the certainly top 10 musicals of the 20th century and a good film of it. Number four. That Touch of Mink with Rock Hudson and Doris Day, which started quite a run, I believe, of films for them. I yeah. think that was the first one they made. I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think this was. And then Pillow Talk was in there. Yes. Yeah, where they did the split screen. You know, she's in bed on her phone and he's on bed on in his phone. And they both have princess phones, which anyway, uh, <laughs> we won't go there. We're not going to go there. God bless Rock Hudson. He was a hell of an actor and a great fencer. Uh, he was one of the best movie fencers who ever lived. I mean, uh, that, Doris Day I... was just she was Doris Day. She was yeah. the indomitable Doris Day. Always bright and chipper, and uh, it was a silly romantic comedy that gave people great joy in 1962. Number four. Number three. Number three, In Search of Castaways with Haley Mills and Maurice Chevalier. Oh, you remember I was there, Ritter, when you, I, you don't recall, perhaps. And that's where Pepe Le Pew came from, I believe. Pepe Le Pew is basically, well, you know, you have to understand Mel Blanc created all those voices. And uh, Chevalier was a huge, huge star. So it only stood to reason that he would have a sort of Maurice Chevalier character voice. Because it was a way of uh, doing a caricature and paying tribute to uh, Chevalier at the same time. Uh, okay. And number two. A World War II epic. Now, mind you, we're not out of world. I sounded like our grandmother. She used to say, now, mind you. But uh, <laughs> remember, uh, we're talking about a year that was only, uh, what, 16 years after World War II. So it was very, yeah. very current in everybody's mind. And what was the number two song of 60, uh, number two movie of 62? Again, it was The Longest Day, Terry, with uh, John Wayne, Henry Fonda, and Robert Mitchum. Wow, that's that's a really incredible cast if you think about it. All great established stars at that time. What was number one? Number one, Lawrence of Arabia with Peter O'Toole and Omar Sharif. He was the chief of the Howie Tots. Yes, Remember the opening scene? The incredible David Lean, the master of, oh my God, the master of the shot, uh, the panoramic shot. And the, as soon as the credits clear, it might even be before the credits, you see a, a line, a horizon, sky above, sand below, and suddenly a little pin thing appears in the middle of the screen and it gets thicker and thicker and thicker and thicker. And suddenly you realize... It's a camel coming toward the camera and a man on top of the camel. And he stayed with that shot. It took for, I mean, they, filmmakers would never do a shot like that today, you know. And you just had to sit there and try to figure out what was going on. And it gave you the feeling of the heat 
and the incredible expanse of the desert. And suddenly there's Omar Sharif who jumps off his uh, camel and says to Lawrence, you know, this is a Howie Tot well you're drinking hmm. from. I wonder, Terry, did they shoot that in uh, Cinemascope or Penoscope or what was the... Uh, Cinemascope. Uh, well, Cinemascope, It okay. was shot in 70 millimeter. Great. And those cameras uh, were, in, you know, like fine Swiss watches. They were very big. They had the Cinemascope lens, and there were a lot of things that could go wrong with them. They were high maintenance. They were high maintenance, and they were shooting in the desert. I mean, every time a, a, a shot was taken, even in a clean studio, the the uh, AD, the assistant director, would always say to the camera guy, check for uh, any crap in the lens. You know, they used to say, check for hair in the lens. Well, can you imagine keeping sand out of the uh, out of the camera? It must have been just mind boggling. Full-time job. It was also a full-time job uh, to keep uh, Peter O'Toole away from the adult beverages, as I understand. Yeah, I would, I think maybe at, at that point in his life, because this was his starring role, and I'm not going to say he hadn't started to, to take a drink, but he was young, he was athletic. Uh, the stories that I hear about the shoot was that it was he was on his game. He was, uh, you know, he, he was very athletic and... Uh, did what he had to do and and some of the shots of his face i can remember people in the in the theater going oh <laughs> he was just so beautiful those eyes yeah he was he was actually a beautiful beautiful guy reminded me a lot of you yes terry uh, no in a it, certain it, light <laughs> in a certain light like like when they're off anyway yeah, I, 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 got, I used you for a cheap joke to get out of it but that's the movies let's uh skip right along and get into the tv shows of 1962 but before we get to the tv shows themselves i would like to mention a tv event that happened in 1962 the year we're talking about here I was a copy boy for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and we were putting out an edition. It was, I think, a Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. I believe it was Sunday. I know it was a weekend. And John F. Kennedy was having his birthday celebration, and that would have been his, he died at, that would have been his 46th birthday party at Madison Square Garden. Now, you've seen the, you've seen the, uh, the clip of this, and I'm going to play the audio. A young woman came out, a blonde movie star, in a sequin dress, and on national television did this to the president. Think, Tim. Oh, Marilyn Terry, the greatest uh, beauty of our times. I mean, she was just, I don't want to use the word luscious, but I am. She was just lusciously beautiful lady. Yeah. And became a really fine actress. So let's get to the actual television shows of 1962. Number 10 was Gunsmoke. Mr. Dillon. That's right, James Arness. The very Number tall James Arness. Number nine, of course, every week we waited for uh, Dick Van Dyke to fall over the Ottoman in the opening credits. So number nine was... 
The Dick Van Dyke Show with Dick Van Dyke, of course, and Mary Tyler Moore. God bless her. She was wonderful from day one. Yeah, there was nobody like her. I mean, she was uh, she was stupendous. Uh, God rest her soul, man. She was something else. Number eight. Yes, a Danny Thomas show, which actually was a really neat show. I liked the Danny Thomas show. It was the first time I heard about Baba Ganoush. It's a good dish. I think I'll have one for dinner. So coming in at number seven was... Ben Casey. And the star was a young, unknown, kind of a bodybuilder type. Yeah, Vince Edwards, Terry. Vince, Vince Edwards, yeah. And it was a good, you know, it was a, one of those medical soap operas. And then uh, number six. And I still think one of the best uh, situation comedies ever in the history of television. The Andy Griffith Show. With a great theme. And here's another show that had a great theme. Number five, The Lucy Show. Exactly. Oh, oh, Lucy, I told you not to come to the club. (laughs) Number four was a Western. Yeah, this was a great uh, kind of a panoramic uh, version of uh, a cowboy movie. It was called uh, Bonanza. Yeah, big old hoss and... And who was the star? Lauren Green. Who would go on to become even more famous doing those Purina commercials, reminding us the difference between our years and dog years. <laughs> it was a big step. It was important information for us. Actually, no. I still count in dog years uh, with most, uh, you know, human beings, whatever. I, I like that. It's seven years, I believe, isn't it? Yeah. One for seven. Yeah. Number three, former vaudeville comic. The Great Red Skelton, the Red Skelton Show. Yeah, he he was totally insane. And they said, uh, I remember as a kid hearing about, he was called the bluest comic there was. In other words, when he wasn't on television, he was absolutely filthy. Yeah, yeah, he swore a lot. He was kind of vulgar. Number two. Basically, what we would now call a reality show uh, came in number two, top TV shows of 62, and that was... Candid Camera. With with whom? Okay, now you're taxing me, man. Alan Funt. Yes, how could you forget a name like Alan Funt? And yeah. finally, this is depressing, but it apparently was the number one show of 1962. <clears throat> the Beverly Hillbillies. Yes, indeedy. Wow. Who would have thunk it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> The look on your face was <laughs> went totally blank. But it was number one, man. Yeah, well, you know, Uncle Jed, he was uh, he was a piece of work. I really liked him. And Granny, Granny was a tough, tough old bird, man. She'd whack you in a second, and she drank that corn whiskey all day too. So that old gal, had, uh, yeah, she'd backhand you in a second if you didn't pay attention. That's it for 1962 television. We're going to come back and listen to some music from Where Were You in 62 on Timboland at Timboland.net. The podcast for baby boomers. Oh, ho, ho, ho. my little lotus blossom. This is Timboland.net for the baby boomers. Hot. Listen when your body says, I'm tired, or I'm hungry. Are you listening? Would you listen if your body said, 
I have pain and pressure in my abdomen. I feel bloated for no good reason. Or I get too full too fast. I'm spotting, but I've already gone through menopause. Or I have to go to the bathroom more often and more urgently than usual. These can be signs of a gynecologic cancer, like cervical, ovarian, uterine, vaginal, and vulvar cancers. Symptoms aren't the same for everyone. If your body says something may be wrong, please listen, learn the symptoms, and get the inside knowledge about gynecologic cancers. Call 1-800-CDC-INFO. A message from the Inside Knowledge Campaign and the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, this is uh, Timbo, and uh, we're at uh, Timboland.net, uh, and we're the podcast uh, for baby boomers. Uh, we got that going for us. All right, we're back on Timboland with the music of 1962, the pop music, popular music, and... Uh, 1962, that again was the year that uh, uh, American Graffiti was set in. So much great music. Let's start now with uh, number 10, and that would be Soldier Boy, which was really an important song because a lot of guys were still getting drafted. There, were a, there were a lot of Soldier Boys out there, and this is, a, this is really a cute song. The Shirelles. It was a that was a great. I love the Shirelles. My favorite was the year before they had. This is dedicated to the one I love. Yeah, can I tell you a quick story? Please. I had a my first real girlfriend at St. Mary's of the Mountain. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, was a girl by the name of Patty McGrath. It's just a lovely little girl, and I I this it was so embarrassing. I we loved this song. It was going around, and we were all trading it off on 45s. And I bought a copy of it, and I gave it to her. And she told everybody in the school that this little numbnut gave her this, you know, her boyfriend gave her this song. This is dedicated to the one I love. Oh, I never, ever heard the end of it. It went on and on. She was happy with it. She was happy, but uh, she... She took a shot at me, too, also. It was like, is this... Oh, get over it. I can't, man. She hurt my feelings, dude. Yeah, don't even even do the numbers. Get over it. She did. Okay. All right. The twist, Chubby Checker, (laughs) (laughs) that uh, comes in at number nine. Uh, He actually wasn't the originator of this song. Who did it originally? Originally, it was Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. Very good. How about these kids? The Sensations. Wee-oo. Let me in, I can see the dancing, the silhouettes on the shade, I hear the music all 
So we're talking about 1962 and the music of the early 60s. You see uh, the rock and roll, the upcoming music, uh, and, and rhythm and blues vying with the old cornball stuff. Yeah. Number seven is the locomotion, Little Eva. And uh, number six, Johnny Angel, Shelley Fabre. Years later, hmm. uh, I did a uh, television pilot with her. She was one of the stars of it, and she was the sweetest thing in the world. Really? The, the, the show didn't get picked up. It was called His and Hers, and uh, she was just delightful. Yeah, she was a pretty girl. Now, how about this? The Stripper by David Rose. Okay. Uh, great movie. Uh Kind of a little bit over the top. Uh, it was about a stripper's life, of course, played by Rosalind Russell. What are you talking about? The Stripper was a song by David Rose. You're thinking of Gypsy. Yeah, I am. You're drifting on me, kid. I am. I'm, I'm starting to... <laughs> I fly away often, as you well know. I am and, fly away. Here's a guy from our hometown. He was... What a sweetheart. Here's Bobby Vinton in at number four. Cannonsburg boy, like Barry Como. Number three, again, uh, you know, the uh, uh, what we would have called then the, the hipper sounds, Mashed Potato Time by D.D. D. Sharp at number three. And then Ray Charles, this was at his, really at the height of his powers when he was doing all these old country songs. And he really knocked this one out of the park, I Can't Stop Loving You, which had been done by Count Basie, but Ray singing it, he put it away. And this, remember I was saying that the pop tunes, the, the, the rock and roll and the rhythm and blues vying for the old corny crap. And this was one of the outstanding old corny crap songs of all time. Uh, came in number one in 1962. It was Acker Bilk, and you claim uh, that he was uh, just a straight old clarinet player, and this song was... Re- I don't know if he was straight or not, but he played <laughs> well, the clarinet. I mean, he played the basic clarinet, and nobody could match, in your estimation, Benny Goodman. Nobody. They, okay. No, okay. no. I mean, nobody on the on this planet. Right. Pete Fountain we got real close, but no. Go back and listen to Benny. Okay. Nobody. But not Acker Belk. He's... He, that's nappy time when you listen to Acker. Is that his first name, yeah, let's, Acker? Let's put, let, hey, Acker. Hey, Acker. <laughs> and he, he could bilk you, too. <laughs> yes, he could. All right, Acker. Hold on to your wallets. Put us all to sleep, would you, with number one, Stranger on the Shore. Well, there you go, the music of 62. I think we handled that rather handily, the top 10 anyway. Yeah, great, great dance music at that time, for sure. Just thinking about it has tired you out, I can see. Well, I'm exhausted, Terry. Especially the mashed potatoes were a physical effort. They really were athletic. 
take a nap. <laughs> we'll be back. I have a special guest. Her name is Linda Sheridan. And we're going to get a woman's eye view on the year 1962 on Timbo Land at The podcast for baby boomers. Too bad about radio. Oh, what do you mean? Well, since television, you know, hardly anybody listens to radio anymore. Oh, I wouldn't worry about that if I were you. There's a radio in use for every man, woman, and teenager in America. Really? Gee, I'd hate to think of them all turning them on at once. They do. Every morning. <laughs> you every night through the long commuter fight and in the morning with your toast and mama lady oh who listens to radio no matter if it's summer winter spring or fall who listens to radio only 150 million That was the great guru of radio, Stan Freeberg, and who listens to radio? Now, of course, the question is, who listens to podcasts? Well, guess what? 46 million Americans over the age of 12 now listen to podcasts on a monthly basis. That's 17% of the 12-plus U.S. population, up from 12% in 2013. Hey, that's a lot of people. They listen during their morning commute on the train, in their car, while they're running, or at the gym, or while doing household chores. Who listens to podcasts? You do. And you're listening to Timboland on Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. The year is 1962 here on Timboland.net, and my guest is uh, an expert on the year 1962. Her name is Linda Sheridan. She is a fellow actor and a good friend, and hello, Linda. Hi, Terry. Now, we get high-powered guests like you on, uh, experts, because <laughs> your qualification is... Well, you have to have been alive and breathing in that year 62 and and aware of what was going on. You, you had to have had some cognition of what was happen, happening around you. Now, you're a, you're a mom. You're a grandmom. I am. You have two of the most beautiful granddaughters I've ever seen. We have many common interests, and all I ask of our guests is... Tell me what you remember about these baby boomer years. How old were you in 62? I was 17 in 62. It was a very good uh, year. Well, that's when I graduated from high school. So uh, I had some awareness of all these things, especially things related to what I was spending money on, like movies or ice cream or right. gum, that kind of thing. I didn't really know much about the average family income then. Well, of course not, but that, that's perfect. So, But now we do. So let's reflect, first of all, on what came out of your little 17-year-old pocket purse. Movies. How much did you pay to go see a movie? So a movie ticket was 50 cents. And this was first-run movie. Yeah. 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 Okay. And popcorn at the movie was 20 cents. But there was no yellow popcorn. No, I think they were. I remember okay. getting butter popcorn. All right. I think so. I'm not 100% cents. sure. 20 cents. So if you also so, wanted to have a soft drink, that would probably cost... 10 cents. Yeah. Yeah. 
10 cents. So Two, three dollars. No, less. Now, now, for a soda pop in a, in a, in a, pla- in a wax cup. It's like five dollars. Yes. It's ridiculous. The whole movie experience was less than a dollar. If yeah. it was 50 cents for the film, 20 cents for the popcorn, and 10 cents, what is that, 80 cents yeah. for the soda? What about transportation? Did you live near the theater? I could walk. You're a Chicago gal, so you yeah. lived in the city. I did. Yeah. 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 And yeah. we walked to the movie theater. We had two. With no one shooting at you. Nobody did try shooting at me, although it was a neighborhood that, you know, where things like that could have happened. Yeah. But um, I always learned how to walk fast and confidently. But you don't look that person coming at you in the eye. Right. You avoid. Yeah. yeah. You avoid. Mm-hmm. But what was but even when before when I was in elementary school in this neighborhood, I was a patrol girl on the corner helping children smaller cross the street. And it was fine. Yeah. And I walked to school. Yeah. I walked everywhere, everywhere. When you would go out to, to one of these movies with a boy, did he walk with you? He on the outside of you near the curb? Uh, probably if they thought about it. I don't know. I, I, I went often with my girlfriends. Not too long ago, I was walking in the city. I had had lunch with some people, and, and this one young woman was, uh, I, I was walk, we were both walking in the same direction to our cars, and I was walking on uh, the inside of her. And I suddenly, I said, where are my manners? And I circled around and started walking on the outside. She, she said, why are you on the outside? I said, well, that's... That's the way it's done. It's called chivalry. It's a hangover from the old days of, you know, the, the, the horse carriage <laughs> splashing a puddle on the girl. You take, you take the puddle. She says, I'd rather have you on the inside in case somebody jumps out of one of these alleys. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The, the, the etiquette was for the guy to be on the outside, for sure. Yeah. That was definitely the way it was done. Let's do some other uh, prices back okay. in those days. And let's widen our scope a little bit to see what, uh, what our parents were dealing with. To put gas in the car, it was how much? 25 cents. 25? a gallon. A gallon of gas. Yeah, for a gallon of gas. 25 cents. And a new car cost $2,500 on average. Around $2,500. Right. And what was the average medium income of that year? $6,000. $6,000 a year. So a third third of your income would go towards your car. But what they had done by now, they they instituted this in the uh, early to mid-50s, was make it real easy for you to pay for your car over time. That's really what caused the the, the explosion in automobile purchases in the 50s and 60s, because people were able to prolong the agony. Is that when the setup of credit and loans started with cars? Back well, it, it really came in, into the fore after the after World War II in the late '40s. With uh, we did an earlier show on this. I forget which year, but early 50, '49 or '50, the Diners Club established itself, and uh, then everybody got into it. And by of course the year we're talking about 1962, you could finance your car with low prices. And guys like, uh, well, you wouldn't know about this guy, but there was a guy in Southern California, Cal Worthington and his dog Spot. 
<laughs> and he did the he he was smart man. He got these people that were up all night, you know, uh, uh, late workers, early partiers, whatever they were, and got very cheap television time. And he would go on there in his cowboy outfit with his little tiny dog Spot, and just harangue into the into your life. Hey, friends and neighbors, come on down. We never close. I'll eat a bug to get you to come here to Cal Worthington. I don't remember that. You didn't have somebody like that in uh, Chicago? Well, we might. I don't, I don't remember it. <laughs> what else do you remember about 62, or what more else can we say that it was a... Uh, well, a stamp was only four cents. Four cents. That blows my mind. Yeah. Because now, to send, of course, nobody sends letters anymore. That's no, the thing. No, true, true. I mean, no, everybody does email or some other form of communication, but we... I actually wrote letters a lot when I was that age to friends yeah. who weren't around. I would sit down and have, I would write long letters to people. In your very. In my handwriting. In your penmanship hand, was get good. A four cent stamp and be able to mail it. Here's something I want to ask you about. Okay. Since uh, you were 17 in this year and very cognitive, aware, well, you had to be aware of this. In 1962, the most important news story of that year was what? Well, of course, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I was not that politically astute at the time, except that I did come from the south side of Chicago in 1962, where the things that we did had to do with a lot of political action and social action and being helpful to people. It was a very kind of progressive community. But I was being tutored in math by a friend of mine from school that day when the Cuban Missile Crisis happened. And I remember us talking about it and the horror that he expressed in this with this news. I was in college. I was at uh, Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, and we were up at WDUQ, our student radio station. And I remember us all sitting in that that lobby of this very old-fashioned radio station and the head of the station, a man named B. Kendall Crane. And he had this big, booming voice. And we had maybe, you know, 150 listeners. But he, it was important enough for him to interrupt programming and to announce that we were in deep, deep doo-doo. It was, people sat around really, really scared. Yeah. And years later, I think about 10 years later, I was, uh, Molly and I were married and living in, uh, in Marin County here. And it was the anniversary. It was 72 of the Cuban Missile Crisis. And one of my friends from that radio station, from the group that sat in the lobby that day, won a contest called I Remember the Cuban Missile Crisis for Rolling Stone magazine uh, named Dennis Foley. And he wrote an essay of, of all of us sitting around with our knees knocking. Uh, you could go to the Rolling Stone archive and dig up that, uh, that article. It was a brilliant piece of writing by Dennis Foley. We were kind of ri- rivals. He would later marry the girl that I was dating at that time. It's okay. It's okay. It's cool. That's how I met Molly. But boy, it was scary, man. Yeah, it, it was, was really, really scary. Truly scary. Yeah. President Kennedy, of course, uh, had this to say about it. This sudden, clandestine decision to station strategic weapons for the first time outside of Soviet soil is a deliberately provocative and unjustified change in the status quo, which cannot be accepted by this country if our courage and our commitments 
are ever to be trusted again by either friend or foe. Do you recall that? Yes, I think I do. Yeah. Yeah. And in that same year, we actually played the uh, the performance uh, earlier in the show of Marilyn Monroe singing to JFK, Happy Birthday to you, in that shimmering gown that she had on. And I think that gown went on sale a couple of years ago at Southby's or someplace for uh, a couple mil. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, she would be gone that year. That year. She that would die of an thing. overdose yeah. amid all sorts of stories that still percolate on the back murky burner about her affair with JFK and with RFK and the mystery surrounding her death. She was a powerhouse. She was a real life force, Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. So other people who died that year were Eleanor Roosevelt. Yes. And Eichmann. Eichmann. Who was hanged. You betcha he was. You ever see the play The Man in the Booth or The Man in the Glass Booth? I forget which it was. But it was uh, a portrayal of Eichmann in the Israeli court. They, they built that glass cage On for trial. him. On trial, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the actor was Donald Pleasance. And it actually put Donald Pleasance on the map. Yeah. What, if anything, do you miss about this era, this late 50s, early 60s? You're just becoming a young woman and and you're becoming aware of things. We're not going to just restrict you to 62. But overall, this this period, what, what are your reflections? Well, it felt more innocent. I felt maybe it's because I was more innocent. I think maybe that was it. I just... I know there were a lot of world problems and we had, you know, like we were talking about the Cuban Missile Crisis. And I, I grew up in a very, I think, unique community. I grew up in the south side of Chicago in Hyde Park, which is a the first consciously integrated community in the country that had an actual redevelopment plan for, through the 50s and 60s to bring, you know, an, you know, oh, an know integrated that. community. And it was in the neighborhood of the University of Chicago. And the high school that I went to was 85 percent black. And in 1962. Yeah. So it was fed into from my from Hyde Park neighborhood, which was mixed and highly intellectual um, because there were a lot of university people living there. And then the ghetto on the other side. Yeah. And so there was in terms of the experience of the school was, you know, there were a lot of ways in which we all came together. Linda Sheridan, I thank you very much for joining us. You're looking down at your notes as if, well, you, we didn't even cover what? Go ahead. The last episode of Jack Parr and the first episode of Johnny Carson happened That's in 1962. Extremely important. Yeah. Songs. Duke, 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 Duke of Earl, As I wander through. Yes, my dukedom. So, you're a font of information. Why? Because you lived it. You were there. That's all it takes now to be an expert on Timbaland. (laughs) And some some notes. Linda, you're wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you, Terry. And we'll talk to you soon. Okay. You're listening to Timbaland at Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. we wrap things up on uh, Timboland for the year 1962, we're joined by Dr. Rick Banghart, our tech guy, uh, who's uh, <laughs> what could have been 
a rather large technical occurrence in 1962. Indeed. Oh, boy. Fortunately, it turned out to just be a warning, and it was uh, from the president of the U.S., JFK, got on television and warned us that we could be facing World War III because Russia had put missiles in Cuba. How old were you? Where were you? I was 10 years old. I, uh, I was young, of course, and uh, was already sort of afraid of nuclear holocaust. Lived in Lansing, Michigan, home of Fisher Body, Oldsmobile. So we were taught that we were a target uh, as part of the industrial base in the Midwest of the mm. United States. And so I went to bed that night absolutely convinced that a nuclear bomb was going to uh, end my life that evening. Would you please pass the mashed potatoes, Mom? I'm trying to lose weight. Yeah, right. Younger McGovern, you were playing football. I was playing football. It was a big game. It was a conference final game, and there was enough alarm uh, from the faculty and our coaches to take us off the field. They actually evacuated the building, took us off. Were you winning? No, we were actually in uh, pre uh, pregame, uh, doing our calisthenics. Oh, doing your little grass warm ups. Yeah, yeah, but it was scary. One can't help but when you do these shows, uh, uh, reminiscing about uh, events gone by, that they do have a tendency to repeat. And now we've got King Jun Fat Boy over there in North Korea, doing it again, raising that specter. Just outrageous to consider what the Japanese must have uh, gone through as air raid sirens awaken them as these missiles go flying over their island. Uh, well, who knows if this recording will even survive, or if any of us will survive. But if it does, and if we are heard someday in the future, then we know that Donald J. Trump took care of it for us. Absolutely. And the, the haircut, though, is the key to everything. It's, uh, it's that. <laughs> Who's Donald's? No, no. Uh, the, the Korean gentleman. What's his name? Kim? Kim, Kim Jong-un. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great haircut. They both Great have haircut. Yeah. You may have found something that they have in common. <laughs> we have this in common. We are members of the team that brings you Timboland at Timboland.net, the podcast for baby boomers. Check us out on the website. Look for the podcast listings and find a year that maybe uh, is of special interest to you. See you next time. Okay, everybody, wave to the camera. Bye-bye. 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 Enjoy. This world, nothing can stop a do-lover, and you, you are my girl, and no one can hurt you, oh no, yes I Paradise.
will share. Yes, I. I 